millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. They found her remains, I think, uh, in Thomastown, and she'd been shot in the head, and they believe. They're all victims of the same man who was dubbed Mr. Cruel. I don't know about you, but I love true crime. I love it. And I'm ready to admit it right now to you and to everybody, even though I always feel a bit guilty about it. I think, oh, God, am I being ghoulish, reveling in other people's terrible tragedies and dramas? But I don't know if I am. I just love it. God help me. I, I love, I've read all the books and I found a new true crime writer and she is here in Australia. Her name's Emily Webb. She's a bigger fanatic than me. She spends her spare time trawling through old newspapers in the library. I mean, this chick loves it really hard. She has three books that you can get. There's uh, Murder in Suburbia, Nightmare in Suburbia and Angels of Death. I've read them. They are brilliant. She is a real talent. Her books are fantastic. You must get them. But before you run out and do that, please enjoy this conversation between me and crime writer Emily Webb. I'm Michelle Laurie, and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee Stories about the guts and the glory of life. And this week I am joined by somebody who is an expert at the guts and the glory of other people's lives. She's a true crime writer, Emily Webb. Hey, Em. Thanks, Michelle. Can for I having call you M? Yeah, sure. That everyone calls me M. Great. I feel like we're friends because I've been just buried in your book every night and every moment I can get on my Kindle while my kids are watching something else behind me. I'm buried in true crime. I'm so glad that you're reading it. I love it. So I am reading um, Murder in Suburbia, right? That's the first one. Yeah, that's the first one. And uh, the new book is Suburban Nightmare. Yes, it's a. Uh, there's a theme going with those. There <laughs> is. Why do we love true crime? Do you think? I think it's the the intrigue about stuff that could happen and often um, we have a connection with the places. So for me, yes. I'm always – the reason I picked suburban settings is, you know, you're like, that That could be me, that could be my life. I know that place. Um, I, um, you know, know many of the settings where um, these murders have happened that I've written about and it, it just – the juxtaposition of the brutality of what happens and the, like, brick veneer house, it just freaks me out. Yeah, because when we look at American true crime, it feels like a show business to me. You know, I can't really um, see the Avery family as... I can't relate to them, I can't relate to their community, you know, or, or the, the people in Serial, for example. And then I pick up your books and it is it is very, very relatable. I can, I can see the brick veneer, I can smell what they're having for dinner, I can understand their lives. And, and then you think to yourself, how could this happen? How do these crimes happen? That's it, and especially when 
I'm particularly intrigued by cold cases and ones from the, I guess I'm, I was born in the like late 70s, my Gen X, and I'm pretty intrigued by ones that happened in the 1980s and 90s, ones that really I can remember from when I was a kid and a teenager. Because they're the ones that give you nightmares, yeah, aren't they? And they're the ones that inform your brain. That's it, and you remember the front page of the, yes. like, the newspapers and the photos. And, and they're the ones your parents point out to you and say, see... This is what happens when That's you it. go out at night time or you sneak out or you're whatever, accept rides from strangers or whatever your parents take out of it to try and... Because they're so frightened when they see these stories yeah. and look at you, their child. Yeah, and it, it does. I'm a, I'm a mum and I I can get a bit... You can get a bit bogged down with um, reading about true crime and reading court documents in particular is quite distressing after a while because it just... The, de- the depravity of some crimes is just just so full on and you just can't believe people do it and that's what fascinates me but I'm also I really love reading about like the police investigations Mm. like when I read true crime myself I really like it when people deep dive into you know the hunt I guess for you know a killer yeah so how do you do that how do you go about investigating a story yourself Mm -hmm. so I um I was lucky enough for many years to work as a journalist at um leader community newspapers which is part of News Corp and so I'd have um, I guess access to different you know cases so if there was something I wanted to follow up I'd do it and and I'd occasionally go to court for things but I um, I really like going through like Trove. Um, what the, is that? It's the online um, the National Library of Australia, the online newspaper archive, and I just I just get obsessed with like searching for things and wow. also going to the State Library and looking through old um, microfiche of newspapers. It's like a hobby. It sounds strange, but I'll just go through it and um, wow. and find things that I'm interested in. And and I found an article from. It was from the 1990s and it was a Herald Sun article and it was called Who Murdered Them? I think Michelle Coffey might have written it and it just went through all the cold cases at that time in Melbourne and Victoria and there were a few references and one in particular there was one about a lady called Nana Ellis and she got murdered in Boronia in 1984 and I'm like I've never heard of that and I just get intrigued by things and I get a bit obsessed and then I try and you know get more information court documents and things I think if they're meant to be things kind of happen like you get in touch with a family member or you're able to get in touch with a police officer and it kind of rolls from there so it's like my I don't know it's sort of my not my passion I guess but I just really find think, it interesting I think you can say maybe you feel weird about saying that other people's tragedy yeah. is your passion but I can understand that I for this podcast I often think of stories like that and think well I'd love to speak to the parents or the siblings or something but I I feel guilty Mm. how do you approach someone and say hi I want to write a story about your mum whose murder is one of the oldest cold cases in Victoria how do you do that well I think I'm always wary that you've got to be really sensitive and I think working as a journalist you do um I guess have an awareness of um there's a line that you can't cross. Well, for me, I just couldn't live with myself if I really upset someone on yeah. purpose. So I just went, yeah. you know what, I don't care. I'm writing about that. So the the stories that I wrote about um, and I interviewed people, I would um, contact like the police. Um, I'd do my research and just funny little things. I think technology really helps you um, get in contact with people now. I actually um, put in a, a request to the police about this particular case Nanette's case and then I just ended up I guess you know you track down people and you make you make connections like by Facebook <coughs> or LinkedIn or something mm-hmm. like that and you just 
I just go like, hi, this is, you know, I'm Emily and I, I'm really wanting to write about, you know, this case. And sometimes they come back and say no. Other times, like, we meet, I'm like, it's all off the record, you know. I'm, I'm very respectful of that. I don't want to ever put someone in a position where they feel like they've been you know, betrayed. Like, yeah. I really feel there's a real responsibility with true crime. Um, you can't... People are going to get upset sometimes, I think, reading things. And also there's the fact that a lot of these cases, they're on the public record, so there's court documents and there's newspaper articles. So really, you know, you can write about them without necessarily getting in contact with the people, but I just feel it adds to something. But I couldn't, I couldn't contact all the people for the stories in the book because it just was impossible and some of them are quite historic, the cases, but I certainly, where possible, really tried to, um, you know, get a fresh angle on things. What did you find out about Nanette? Because I felt like that story in particular, this is a collection of stories, these books are, but that story in particular felt like it felt really personal to you, even though you didn't know this lady, right? No, I didn't know her, but it was really funny. There were some real connections that I didn't actually realise when I started to investigate, like Nanette actually worked at Leader Newspapers back in the 1980s. She was the newspaper manager for the newspaper called Free Press Leader that covers the the Dandenongs and Belgrave. And I actually worked with people who worked with her back wow. in the 80s. And I actually didn't know that she'd worked at Leader. So when I became a bit intrigued, it's, I live in the outer east of Melbourne. So anything that happens around there, I'm quite fascinated. But what really intrigued me about this case is the police, um, I ended up getting in contact with the Victoria Police and by chance they actually had started reinvestigating it. So I had a bit to do with a really great um, homicide detective called Kyle Simpson mm-hmm. and he was tasked with um, reinvestigating Nanette's murder and Nanette just didn't have anything in her victimology, as they call it, that would suggest that she would be a target for a crime you that's know that's what they say i remember talking to charlie bazina the former homicide detective and he said it, get to know your victim first and more often than not that will tell you who your perpetrator was but yeah with nanette no there nothing didn't seem to be anyone or anything no she um she was like a really um lovely beautiful um mum you know in her mm. i think she was in her early 40s or might have been 40 and she um, the day she was murdered, she'd come home from work and she was going to go out with some girls from work and there was a, a window of time, about 45 minutes, where someone came into the house and stabbed her to death and then were gone and her son actually discovered her, which I just can't even get it's my horrific. head around. But the lead-up was really strange too, wasn't it? A lot yeah. of strange things going on in her life. Yes, so there was some incidents um, where she was driving to work, um, so from Nanette lived in Baronia and driving to Belgrave. There were a few incidents where there were rocks thrown at her car Mm. on a series of days and also her car was um, vandalised on the driveway. But police aren't actually sure now if that necessarily was related to like, yeah, so I think there was a lot of emphasis at the time. And there actually wasn't really that much publicity at the time um, compared to what there would be today. I always remember um, Andrew Rule, um, there was a similar murder, um, not similar, there was another murder in 1984 that was... Um, of Infantry Gully, which is alongside Baronia, and it was of um, Margaret and Shauna Tapp, so mm-hmm. a mum and daughter. Like, Shauna Tapp was nine years old, and they were murdered in their beds, strangled, and Shauna was sexually assaulted. And I remember hearing um, or re- reading something that Andrew Rule wrote because he reported on that at the time, saying, you know, it, it got really scant publicity mm. at the time for the kind of crime it was. Yeah. Um, 
I just always wonder, like, why, like... Yeah, do you have a theory about that? I mean, just recently we saw the Jill Maher murder, which rightfully gained an enormous amount of publicity, and then not long after, Tracy Connolly, the sex worker in St Kilda, was murdered, mm. and that's still an open case, and uh, not not so much media. Yeah, I think, look, I think, um, I think it's getting better, but I think, sadly, from my research, you discover that... Um, a lot of family violence murders have been happening for forever. Yeah. The way they're reported is very different, um, the language that's used. Um, but I think, <coughs> you know, a, like Jill, you know, walking home from work, she's mm. um, young and beautiful. Yeah. I guess it, it's like Jane Thurgood Dove, you know, a young yes. mum. Yes. Just, it just captures your attention. I think it's, it's like, relatable. Mm. Um, and it does, it does instill fear in you. So I guess when stories are reported... You know, that plays a part, really. Well, the Jane Thurgood Dove story was very, very widely reported. And, I mean, talk about relatable. Talk about a scenario we could all see ourselves in that was terrifying. Mm. A woman comes home, drives in her driveway with her kids in the car, steps out of her car, and there's a gunman waiting there, chasing her around the car. Mm. It's just unbelievable. And it murders her. And her parents, I met her parents. Um, I was um, put onto them through... An absolutely wonderful woman called Janine Greening, whose own mother was murdered in 2000 by two boys, teenagers, wow. um, in Seaford. And Janine is an absolute warrior for victims' rights. And they, um, she has a group called the um, Victims of Homicide um, Group. And she is amazing. And she really helped me um, get in touch with a few people and actually went and met with Jane's parents. And they're just the loveliest people. And it's like... A, it, you sat in their house, the house where Jane grew up. They're such dignified, beautiful people and it's like truly their life became a nightmare. One minute it was just, you know, the kind of life we live in suburbia yeah. and then it became a complete nightmare and I just couldn't get my head around it. I read in your book where you said they were showing you some home video mm. and her mum said, it was from like the night before the murder and her mum said that was the last time we were happy. Yeah, and that just broke my heart. Oh. I just... I couldn't because I was like I could be sitting with my grandparents Mm. or like the house was really a real home but you know it was very modest home and they're modest people and hard-working people and yeah I just I don't know I just can't and that story in particular it turns out was most like or was was believed to be a mistaken identity yeah they believe so yeah because someone up the road gangsters were sent to shoot a blonde lady on that street and got the wrong house and a blonde lady came home so they thought it must have been her yeah yeah um but the guy they think did it has died in prison right yeah I think um, or died of overdose somewhere there's two suspects well people that they believe did it who have died and I think they there's possibly either the person who stole the car or drove the get up, maybe stole the car, that they could still be out there, and also the person who organised the actual yeah. the hit. So I just really hope for them that they get an answer because they're in their 80s now, yeah. Jane's parents, and I just think that would be really awful not to know. Yeah. What about the, the triple killing? That one is just so terrifying. The, the housemates... Yeah. Can you talk uh, us through those details, please? So I, I wrote about that case, and I, I didn't speak to anyone um, for that personally, but there was a there's a wealth of information out there, like um, court documents, um, media. I remember that I was at school when that happened. So it was the three um, young people, um, two 
two girls who are trainee teachers and um, one of the girls' brother-in-laws was mm. staying at the house in Burwood. I mean, Burwood. Burwood. It's pretty, like, nondescript. It's, you know... Absolutely. It's, um, For those outside of Melbourne, Burwood is, is one of those quiet, leafy, gentle yeah. suburbs that yeah. nothing ever happens in, Not for really. better or for worse. Yeah, isn't and it? it's, it's pretty... Um, you know, very solid eastern suburb kind of yeah. Melbourne place. And um, they were murdered. They were shot um, dead. And It's got everything. If you put this story in a movie, people would say you were overreaching. One of the young women wasn't supposed to be there that night. She was moving out the next day yes. and she was supposed to be staying with her mum, but she said, oh, I don't want to leave my friend alone mm-hmm. to interview new flatmates. Mm-hmm. So she just, you know, wasn't even was meant there. to be there. She was there. Um Someone answered an ad, a complete random. Mm, they had an ad in um, the paper for a housemate. Mm. And what they believe is that the person who murdered, executed these three people, Ashley um, Coulston, who's jailed for life, never to be released, uh, he, they think it was completely random. He just answered an ad in the paper, opportunistic, um, and came to the door and... Um, yeah, and then these these three were like um, tied up and shot dead. It's just that rant, the randomness of that, I guess, is so shocking because in a lot of cases, the victim and perpetrator do know each other. Yeah, absolutely, and we sort of rely upon that. Well, you yeah, know, we think, yeah. well, you know, it's probably not going to happen to me, and yeah. uh, people normally know their killers. For something like that to happen is just every person's worst nightmare. And how he was caught was he'd actually tried to do another... Like, there was a couple walking through um, the gardens near St Kilda um, and he tried to rob them and was about to tie them up and they were very likely going to become murder victims had it not been some security cards heard what happened. And it was a very complex case. There were a lot of appeals, but he's one of Victoria's prisoners who will never be released and just... Very, very dangerous. I mean, to do, yeah, to do that randomly. I think he drove from Hastings, where he lived, to Burwood. Yeah, so over an hour's drive. Yeah, and I think there was, um, I think he had in his malways something plotted out that they, that um, the police found. But yeah, it just, just tragic. And the one of the girl's brothers-in-laws was staying there because he had a conference in Melbourne. Right, it's he just, didn't even live there. He was never like, meant to be there. I just don't get it, like, just how people can do that. No. Uh, speaking of the never to be released, now when was that? There is a book by that mm, name. It's by Paul B. Kidd. Yeah. So yep. when was that law enacted? It wasn't that long ago, was it? I think in New South Wales there was something called truth in sentencing. I'm not an expert, okay. um, but it was where um, killers could have their their um, sentences re looked at. So some of the most yes. brutal cases, but I think that affected some. I think um, cases like the Anita Cobby yeah. murder. Janine Balding, but in um, Victoria, I'm not sure, but there's a there's a handful of people who will never get out. What sort of people are they? I think, well, in New South Wales, I know there's Catherine Knight who, um, you know, murdered her partner and beheaded him and cooked his head in the pot. <gasps> yeah, Crazy. I think they're going to make a film out of that. So she is the only woman to ever get uh, that sentence. Um, Roger Dean, who set the nursing home fire. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I do. I did write about I, I My second book was called Angels of Death, and that was about healthcare serial killers, so doctors and nurses who killed. Very scary too. But mm. uh, Roger Dean, he um, set the fire to get um, 
the heat off, so to speak. He'd been stealing drugs and it obviously got out of control. But I think 11 or 12 people died and he is never to be released. Yeah. So he'll never get out. Um, Ivan Malat in Melbourne. It's Ashley Coulston. And I think um, a more recent case is someone called Ramazan Akar and he's known as the Facebook killer because he said he was about to kill his kid on Facebook. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, he killed his little daughter which is just the sickest thing ever but it was like getting back at his mm-hmm. ex-girlfriend um which you know they say that stuff is those kind of crimes is the ultimate form of family violence it's where the male yeah you know kills the children and it's you know so the yeah. woman suffers forever so it's actually a recognized form of family violence is more understanding happening about wow. it now but yeah there's a few there. Monique Bowley here. It's hard to find good podcasts, isn't it? Sometimes you scroll through your feed, you think, oh, is it going to be a hit or a miss? You can never quite tell. Luckily, there is a way that you can get just really good podcasts by downloading the Mamma Mia podcast app. It's where all of our brilliant shows live. Shows like This Glorious Mess, Mamma Mia Out Loud, and our latest show, The Mamma Mia Book Club. Shows made by women for women. The Mamma Mia podcast app. It's free, it's easy to use, and it's now available on both Android and iOS. Just search for the Mamma Mia podcast app in your app store. Talk to us about Angels of Death. Okay, so I wrote... Fascinating. When I first started out writing the books, I had just a couple of ideas and I'd... Um, Angels of Death, so I wrote about um, healthcare serial killers and I'd, I'd had a few ideas. There's obviously Harold Chipman in the United uh-huh. Kingdom who was a GP in Manchester area and he just killed so many people. And that actually, I thought I knew a lot about that case. I lived in the UK for quite a while, but I actually ended up reading through all the Shipman inquiry um, reports and there was like seven of them. And it was just absolutely chilling Um he would just literally like shoot him up with morphine and kill them. So a lot of these people were found. His patients who trusted him, mostly elderly, not always elderly, he'd kill them in the GP surgery or at home. And um, I saw a documentary and one of the um, people from the funeral home commented that they often found these people dead in their chairs or fully dressed. And she said, just it was a bit strange because usually they're in bed, they're in their pajamas and alarm bells started to go off but that was completely terrifying but there's many instances in the united states um there was a nurse a texas nurse called janine jones and she was a pediatric nurse and she was convicted of killing one child but is believed to have killed many many more as a neonatal nurse and there's um beverly aylett from the uk the nurse um who she overdosed um some of her patients who child patients with insulin or suffocated them and she you know has been widely reported as having the condition Munchausen's by proxy Mm -hmm. Um, is that a common I was just about to ask is there a sort of a an idea that there's a common psychological through line with people who go into the caring professions and end up murdering people yeah they some of the ones that have been that I reported on um they either have the Munchausen's by proxy or they are people who um 
It sounds very odd, but they have particular stresses in their life and that's how they kind of relieve their stress. Like one oh. killer, um, I've forgotten his name. He's, he's American, but he's um, he was a nurse and he's um, he killed like hundreds of people, they believe. Um, and he had a very sort of chaotic personal life and he actually yeah it was like almost a stress relief for him and also people who just have like they believe Harold Shipman he just had this god complex and he was you know they think he watched his mother die a very painful death um from Uh cancer and she was given morphine and he actually became a, a drug addict um for a while and was got caught um he didn't get struck off um and then he was allowed to practice again, but they believe there's some psychological link with that. But in Roger Dean's case, I mean, he actually, you know, killed so many people because he set a fire to avoid being, um, you know, caught for taking drugs. So, um, but yeah, there's a bit of a theme where it's just, they seem to believe that they can just do what they want. Yeah. Yeah. And they're very vulnerable, obviously in hospital. It's like, it's like easy victims yeah absolutely and an old age home Munchausen's by proxy is that the thing where um isn't that where we pretend our children are sick so we get attention yeah that's often how it's reported it was actually interestingly the condition was kind of discovered by um Jane Asher who was like once with Paul McCartney she's like an English um thing her dad was like this eminent um doctor and he kind of discovered it uh but it's where so if you've got munchausen's you like hurt yourself okay but munchausen's by proxy is like yeah where you hear those cases of parents making out their kids are sick and the the medical attention it gives them a purpose and it gives them attention it's like totally sick why would you want to pretend that your child's sick um or, yeah, hurting other people. Yeah, wow, to get attention. Mm. I guess if everyone thinks you're the poor, unlucky nurse who keeps having a death on your shift, yeah, you probably get attention out of that. That's it. And one of them, actually, Janine Jones, they used to say, like, she, they called her shift the death shift. Because oh when God. she was on, um, kids just died and they had to start investigating. So often the common theme is when they start going back through records, they're like, oh, when that person's on shift, mm, interestingly, people die. So what actually was really scary too about writing that book is the actual the, the mismanagement of um, staff, like when little alarm bells start to go off mm. and the bureaucratic process and people... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Die in that, um, you know, while they're investigating stuff. And I mean, I think things would be a lot stricter now. But some of the cases, people were just allowed to do what they want, and um, also people who possibly. Um, shouldn't have been nursing like they had incidences where they may have stolen drugs or um you know done something wrong they could have been easily sort of um managed out of the job but they just were allowed to keep practicing wow what about what was that story that you sent me the link for on youtube so um one of the cases i wrote about originally for um a story for when I was working on leader newspapers. It's the case of Susie Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Now, Susie was um, 17 and she went missing from Hillsville, which is in the Yarra Valley mm-hmm. um, in 1987. Beautiful, and, like rural yeah, setting. Yeah, gorgeous. It's a lot. It's back then it was like really country. Yeah. But now it's like a bit hip slick and cool and it's very, yeah. um, a beautiful foodie destination. But back then it was, it was really like a country town, very close to Melbourne. And I, um, ended up contacting her mum, Liz Westwood, who's just a lovely lady. And I rang her up and I was really nervous. I said, hi, Liz. Like, you know, I'm a journalist with leading newspapers. I'm doing stories about unsolved crimes in the Outer East. I wondered if I could meet you to speak about Susie. And she, like, rang. When she rang me back, she just broke down in tears. And because so long had gone and she, she feels a lot of guilt she always feels like she never looked hard enough for Susie and it's so sad that she feels that way because you know what happened was when Susie went missing she was at a party went to a party Liz dropped her off she was you know 21st party at the Memorial Hall in Hillsville she was in a you know 1980s taffeta party frock and um, Liz said the next morning, you know, she she wasn't back, but she said that wasn't unusual because the kids all stayed at other people's places and Liz had actually then gone to a country music festival in Yarra Glen. And she didn't see Susie there, but someone had sighted Susie apparently. And so, but then Susie didn't come home. And back then, you know, there weren't all the networks, the missing people's mm. networks. You'd go to the cops and they're like, oh, she'll turn up. It'll be okay. And she didn't turn up and... You know, um, Liz was a widow at that time. She had three other kids um, working and, you know, she did all she could. Um, But she, yeah, just nothing happened. And maybe she joined um, a group um, for people of missing children. So she knows um, people like Jenny Bird, who's the mother of Prue Bird, Mm -hmm. who um, went missing. And um, they believe that, oh, I think he has been charged... um, Leslie Camilleri, who killed the two yeah, girls in right. Bega, he did that. But Prue's never been found. So she knows, you know, Prue Bird, she knew the parents of um, the two backpackers, two of Ivan Malat, Malat's victims, Deborah um, Everest and James Gibson, yeah. who went missing. And at the time, they didn't know um, that they were victims of Ivan Malat. No. So there was a quite an active group for a while in the late 80s, early 90s. Of these parents yeah, who, yeah. who sought support from each other That's as it. the parents of missing and did, teenagers. And you know, um, did sort of awareness, um, you know, Campaigns. on media. Liz actually did participate in a reenactment of Susie's disappearance for, I think it was Australia's 
Most Wanted, mm. which was back on TV. But so really the story is Susie was sighted. Um, she she left the party. Um, she left the party a bit upset about about something. Um, she'd actually had a car accident the year before and had been quite badly injured, and she was walking with a limp. Mm. And um, you know, Lisa probably there were some girls who might have been having a bit of a laugh at her because she was you know dancing with them. But she left, and someone had said, "Do you want to? Do you want us to walk you home or something?" She's like, "No, no, I'm fine." There were, was a witness who said they saw her the next day in completely different clothes with a couple of boys that weren't local. Um, but there's also the mystery I find is what happened to the dress. It was yeah. like a full-on party dress. And she there's just a lot of things that, um, I don't know, I think how, how can you explain that? Why was it investigated differently? But I have had some contact, um, like, for instance, the lady who proofread my book, um, um, the latest book she actually knows someone who went to school with Susie and was like wow you know everyone always wonders what happened but there were a few leads as I describe in the book you know where police said oh we think we might have had a sighting and Liz travelled off to places but it wasn't to be and, and now Liz is in her 70s and really wants to know what happened she's always held a hope that Susie just disappeared Mm -hmm. but she said what she couldn't work out is she was very close to one of her brothers and just to go missing you know um you know and never tell the brother and they've all been affected by it liz has since remarried she's married to a really lovely man and um but everyone's been impacted by it but she she wants to know and i think she's without speaking on her behalf i think she's kind of she just wants to know what happened whereas before it's like going to the darkest place was really hard for her to think yeah. you know what happened so it's probably likely that Susie met with some sort of foul play but I and just even then yeah. though you're so right what happened to the dress like yeah. what happened someone knows you yeah. know someone knows what happened and it's just cruel you know it's cruel to not mm. um yeah, but I've become friends with Liz. Actually, I'm going to catch up with her. Um, I, I told her about I was doing this, and I said, "Look, Jim, can I talk about Susie?" She said, "That's fine." Um, and she's yeah, she's become a friend. She's such a lovely lady. Does she want? Does she? Is she happy when when the case comes up again in terms of you publicising it and reminding people? And is she still in that space? She was happy because for a really really long time, she she wasn't. Um, she sort of hadn't gone to the police to say what had yeah. kind of happened. She felt like it had all been, well, from what she knew, it had, the case had kind of been exhausted and it was just a mystery. But she had actually been thinking, she said, about going. And I think maybe me contacting her gave her a bit of confidence with that. And I believe she has made some contact with the um, the missing person and cold case squad at Victoria Police Um but you know, it's 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 going to be slow going because I guess there's a lot of other cases. But she definitely Susie's case definitely deserves a relook. But I mean, I guess if there's no new leads, it's going yeah. to be tricky. But sometimes I just hope it's like the case in Shepparton where the young journalist Tammy Mills, you know, she said to Ron Idles, "Hey, why don't you investigate this murder of Michelle Buckingham?" You know, it was and actually someone who knew something 30 years later felt mm. compelled to come forward so i really think someone knows what happened to susie yeah and it would be great if someone came forward ron Idles, of course the uh homicide cop from victoria who's the subject of the recent book the job yeah uh so he's got a lot of media lately he is one of those um stalwart homicide cops in victoria isn't he in yeah Melbourne. he is and people know you know 
I think because Ron always comes across, he really cares about, you know, the people he deals with yeah. and it's a really big responsibility and, um, yeah, I, I think it would be a huge burden, that job, but it would also be a, a – you would feel just amazing when you get results for families. Yeah. Well, he's re- uh, retired now, hasn't yeah. he, from yeah. active service, but I think he works with the sort of um, police association. Yeah, he was the head of it and now I think he retired from that. Oh, did he? No, he is the head of the police association. You're yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And I noticed recently, though, when I was looking around and researching the Sarah McDermott story, yeah, um, which we'll get to in a second, but his mobile number is still on the website. Wow, you know, yeah, that's pretty intense, isn't it? For I think the older detectives find it really difficult to retire yep. and move past their careers when they have these unsolved things yeah. in their case file. Mm, definitely. Sarah McDowmid, an incredible story of a young girl who got a train home. Again, it's kind of the story that our parents mm. point to and say, never do this, which is not victim blaming. I think it's just so frightening when you see a young woman get off her train and walk to her car. Her, her DNA on the the car. I think there was was there blood? I think it's blood, blood stains. Yeah. And she just disappeared. She'd been playing tennis, I think, in the city, mm. came home to Cannanook to a car. Someone heard a scream. That was about all that was heard. Yeah, Cannanook's sort of in the bush, uh, just yeah, outside like, of Melbourne. Yeah, like Frank's, Frankston line. Yeah. Um, and so she's come home and I guess her car was the only one left in the car park. Yeah, and look back then, probably the lighting wasn't as, yeah. you know, great. The stations weren't as, mm. you know, user-friendly as they are now. And, yeah, that's that's – a real Melbourne mystery um, tragedy, really. Mm. And I think, yeah, a lot of people would like to see that solved, but it's just frightening. She's just, yeah, no trace of it. No. You have a lot of people contact you, though, don't you? I do. It's funny. I have... um, I had really... Yeah, I get people contacting me, like, have you considered um, writing about this case or this case? And quite a few about the case of Kylie Maybury, and I won't say too much because that's before the courts have actually arrested someone. Okay, right. um, Charged someone... Um, that was the 1984 um, murder of Kylie Maybury, who was eight and went mm. to get some sugar in Preston from the shop and disappeared and was found raped and um, had been murdered. And I had a lot of like people who went to school with Kylie contacting me. Um, and I actually had a really interesting contact. One of the I did a chapter in the first book. It was I found several cases of some really horrific child murders in the 1970s in Sydney. And um, one of them was of these two boys, I think they were aged 8 and 12, and they were murdered in separate incidents in the Glebe area. And the person who did it was actually a teenager himself. Um, Wow. He was 17 when he was arrested and charged. But back then, I didn't name him in my book, but back then the newspapers named you if you were under 18, photo on the front page. And I thought just I was trying to apply my media training of today. But I actually got contacted um, by a retired priest. He read the book and he actually sent me this bundle of stuff because he was actually the, for want of a better word, spiritual advisor for this boy who murdered these kids. So he sent me like the sentencing remarks. He sent me the newspapers from the time. And he sent me this background about this, this murderer who and what his life was like and it had details it, it it's stuff you think oh I wish I had this when I was writing it but you know this this the perpetrator had actually had a really tragic background themselves and you don't I guess you feel a bit sorry for them but you think gosh like what he did was so bad but he actually ended up getting released so he's probably 
living somewhere, I don't know, it could be alive, could be dead, living wow. somewhere, maybe got on with his life. But, yeah, this priest was really, I thought, wow, that's so amazing that you said. He said, I guess he figures he's got no use for it. And he said, you know, here you go. He sent me the stuff. So I do get contacted, some interesting, yeah, emails from people. But often it's people saying, do you remember this case? Do you think you could write about this case? Um, yeah. I can't imagine what it must be like to be a kid in primary school and have a, that happen to a kid that you go to school I know, with. I know. And they're very the, – the, um, I actually had some dealings too with a schoolmate of um, little Shauna Tapp who was the little girl murdered in Ferntree Gully and just traumatised. Yeah. Like for certain kids it just completely rocks their world and they're affected even into adulthood by it. Mm. Are you looking on any cases at the moment, working on anything? Sort of just like having a little double round. I mean, there's certain <laughs> cases I'm always intrigued by the Mr. Crawl case because for me that was my generation's yes. bogeyman. Like I grew up in Ringwood. Uh-huh. One of the victims um, was from Ringwood. Talk us through that because I was a child in Queensland at the time okay. and I, I've never been able to get my head around it. I can't believe mm. that happened. I've seen the vision of the little girl wrapped in the blanket that they found the next suburb over mm-hmm. whom he had let go. Mm-hmm. Tell me what, about that case. So basically how it started was um, it was in the late 80s and very early 1990s and um, there was a little girl that was abducted from her house, Sharon, um, and she was 10 years old. She was abducted from her um, bedroom at night and um, found, I don't know if it was 24 hours later or so, but she was wrapped in a garbage bag in, right, in Bayswater. Bag, yeah. and. Um, and then it happened again. There was um, another girl um, abducted um, and she was abducted from the Canterbury area. Same sort of thing. The person came in, abducted them. She was released. And then there was Carmen Chan mm. who was murdered. Um, she was abducted from her Templestowe home um, and they found her remains, I think, uh, in Thomastown and she'd been shot in the head and they believe they're all victims of the same man who was dubbed Mr Cruel for... By um, by the media, and it's just like this huge mystery. They believe like, that Carmen saw his face. Yeah, where, that's why the other believe. girls didn't. Yeah, and um, and that's why he shot her. And there's peculiar peculiarities to you know how he spoke to them. He used very specific language. Like I think he said, um, just funny, quaint terms he used with them. And they think he could have been working in the education system because they happened in the school holidays, and he maybe had some knowledge of. Um, scientific forensic procedures because there was no DNA, you know, no DNA That's why he bathed the girls. He was very yeah. careful to, to clean them. And um, one of the girl, where the girls were held, they believe it could have been near the airport because the way the girls described the house, there were sounds of aeroplanes. But for my generation, like I'm nearly 40 and um, it's... Yeah, that was our, like, that was, you know, Mr. Oh, Cruel, scary as, you know, at the time. To be taken from your own bed. Yeah, and it's um really amazing that these girls survived you mm. know yeah two of them two of them and he was never f- found never found so i think i i was listening to when you spoke to charlie bazina and the the, the the general thought is he's either in jail for something else or he's dead or he's overseas mm. yeah yeah that people don't just stop yeah i'm kind of i'm always intrigued by that i just think that's one that so many people would like to be solved oh, absolutely i'm also intrigued by something you said a minute ago about it's this guy who was 17 years old and murdered two younger boys who is now out of prison, whether he's still yeah. alive or not. I mean, in your research, do you find a lot of those? Do you find a lot of cases where you think, oh, my God, that person is out yeah. and about? Yeah, you think I sort of do a little bit of um, 
bit of my own research and you mm. sometimes wonder, oh, I wonder if the thing with Facebook and that though, you can sort of, you know, find people and I mean, I would never go so far as to like flat out ask someone if they were so-and-so, but I always find it intriguing. How do you, how do you go on after that? Like there's the case of, um, an, of the little boy, Daniel Valerio. You, I don't think you probably would have worked, lived in Melbourne at the time, but he had been, was bashed, abused and um, his, it's like something you remember so much. The front page of was his little face, and it was all bruised. This and, was a doc's case, and, the, sort of, and it changed. So the yes. statutory reporting laws came in after that. The okay. doctors, nurses, childcare workers, etc., had to report sus- suspicions of abuse. So the the person who um, killed him, his stepfather, is now out. You know, and wanting to, I think he was in the news because he wanted to have IVF with his partner so he could have more kids. I'm like, how does that even? Yeah. I don't know. I just don't get it. No, it takes how you, do you move the, on. It takes you back to the Jill Ma case. Obviously, not everybody, it's inappropriate and it's silly to think that you should go away for the rest of your life, I guess. For, look, I think, Joe, look, but, you've got to have rehabilitation. Like, yeah. I am a believer. I got kind of really slayed on um, social media for making a comment about one of the. Um, one of the Manson, you know, family people, yes. um, one of the, the women is she, her sentence was she got a possibility of parole and she's been in jail for like 45 years, totally rehabilitated, yeah. you know, um, a real model prisoner. And I said, well, you know, let her yeah. out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm t- terrified by people who I got, I was like scared. I got all these comments, you're crazy, you're like killer, you know, you're insane. I'm like mainly from American people. Um, yeah. I just put a link on one of my um, Facebook pages and it was really – people have really strong views about it. It yeah. really polarises people. Um, and yet I got the same kind of attitude when I talked about Stephen Avery case. To me, he is a, clearly a violent, scary man who probably murdered this woman. I, I don't have any trouble believing that he murdered Teresa Hallback at all. Wow, the feedback I got on that was pretty heavy as well. well. I haven't actually, I still haven't, for someone who's into true crime, I actually haven't seen Making a Murderer. Oh, my God. All right. But I read, I actually, a number of, probably two years ago, I actually got sent the book by um, the prosecutor in the case he'd written. I think it's being being re-released. And I, I reviewed it, not even making an association recently, but I haven't even seen it, but I, I know I've got, people I know on you know my social media who are like so into it yeah. and I um yeah I don't know I just I just feel like it's just true crime it, it, it just gets you so fired up about oh, things God. and yeah it's got yeah. Emily Webb written all over it let me tell you making a murder you better you are gonna love it I, so much oh, I need time I keep being scared to fall into the Netflix rabbit hole yes. I'm like oh you my house will become a pigsty but please do me a favor and call me when you've watched it because I, I really want to hear your thoughts as soon I as will. you finish watching it uh it's fascinating and true crime is fascinating I always feel a bit guilty about the fact that I'm really into it um but then I read your books and think, well, she's more into it, so. <laughs> and I just, I just feel like so intrigued by it. And I've got, I've got my, um, my personal favourite authors that I love. Yeah, tell us, tell us, what's great? What should we be oh, reading if we're into true crime? Okay, so I think I real, I'm a really big believer in you got to go the classic true crime. Like, there's a lot of true crime out there, but you need to read things like um, Gordon Byrne, who is deceased now, but he wrote an amazing book about Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper mm. called Somebody's Husband, Somebody's Son. Mm-hmm. His writing style is incredible. So that's okay. a must read. 
Um, what about the old uh, the killer beside me? Is that what oh, it's the stranger called? beside me? The stranger me. beside me. And that's rule. and rule. That's amazing. a must Amazing. Yep. I mean, here she is, a budding crime writer like mm. you, a, bro- a budding true crime writer, and the guy that she works with in a telecommunications place in a call centre is Ted Bundy. Yeah. It's Isn't just, that amazing? And it's such a great book. Isn't like, it? It's fantastic. Yes. And she, so I, I do love Anne Rule. She's mm. like, she's the queen of true crime. And yeah. she, I think she died last year. Yeah. Um, but Gordon Byrne is definitely, you've got to get, get into it. There's also one that's um, written, it was written in the 60s in a time where the true crime genre it was sort of frowned upon. It's called um, Beyond Belief by Emlyn Williams, mm. who was a playwright. And he wrote it about the Moors murderers, like Myra Hindley. Yes, That's right. a classic. It might take a while to get used to the style, but he's actually written it. It's like um, imagining them. Wow. You know, it's not like hardcore, just facts. But that's I think that's definitely a must read. I read um, another book about Myra two or three years ago, a newer one. I can't remember what it was called, but it was amazing. You'll was find it, it Inside... I think it's something like Inside the Mind of a Murderess or something. something like that. that well, I read yeah. that when I was about 15. I was like, oh, my God, I can't put oh this down. Oh, my God. I mean, what a strange fish this woman is or was. Myra Hindley. Yeah. Just if you in any way have a passing interest in true crime, isn't she a fascinating specimen? She is. She, um, I mean, she, you know, was in this relationship with Ian Brady who's still alive mm. and still won't give up, you know, to um, where some oh. of the bodies are buried. Yeah. But I guess the thing was... the two of them killed small children. Yeah. And she actually, she couldn't claim to be, have been in a, um, you know, sometimes women are under the spell, I mm. guess, so to speak, of these men, because she actually lured, you know, she yeah. lured these kids into the car and... With the little dog. Yeah, and just And sick. then they'd take photos of her and the little dog next to the graves. Yeah. Like, yep. tourist photos. Just so, so strange. And she, I mean, I know... She became like there were people who were campaigners for her to possibly get released down the track. Yeah. Look, I guess I don't know. I've obviously never been in prison, so I don't know what yeah. happens there. But I guess with the passage of time, things change. You know, you mm. might get opportunities to reflect, probably. Um, but she, I think she was in Holloway Women's Prison for like most of her sentence. Mm. Um, I think she- I'll ask you the same question I asked Charlie, which was, "What makes a murderer? Do you think what turns people like you and I?" into people who've killed someone i think um, i mean apart from the obvious like just not not obvious apart from the really strange i'm going to drive for an hour and a half to kill randoms that mm. i found on an ad but apart from that that's that's just a whole other thing but i think um people who have had abuse themselves and been traumatized but that's to say other people you know that doesn't necessarily make you a murder no. there's people who've had horrific things happen and they don't but you know, there's that saying, hurt people, hurt people. I don't know if that's um, mm. drugs. I think people are just so off their chops on, like, yeah. drugs, especially these days on ice. I mean, yeah. Um, I do I do actually believe there is evil. Like, I believe in God, so I believe there's got to be, okay. you know, there's got to be the that opposing point. thing. Yeah. And wow. um, I don't know, maybe just an absence, like, yeah, this, like the psychopath stuff like Ted Bundy, that absence yeah. of something in your brain that, you know, allows you to feel that what you're doing is, you know, going to hurt someone. Mm. I don't know. Do you yeah. believe that people can be born evil? I don't know. This is a really tough question. And whenever I think of that question myself, yeah. I immediately picture the CCTV of James Bolger being led from oh, a shopping yeah. centre by two other little boys who murdered him. And I think, 
You sort of got to feel like at least one of those kids was born evil. When they say born bad or something. Yeah. Um, I think definitely like an environment, an environment of like abuse and deprivation and stuff look would make someone like that. But then you read things about, you know, newborn babies, they can like, they can get like brain, their brains get rewired if they're deprived of love and attention. I think Mm. there's so many kids who that happens to and it's just, yeah. yeah, but I wonder because I guess if you, you know, if you believe in heaven, there's got to be a hell. I don't know. It's I like a big, that. It's a big question. Yeah, I've never. No one's ever said that to me before, though. I like that. If you believe in one, you kind of got to believe in the other. Thank you so much, Emily. We must chat again. I just could talk to you all day long. So we've got suburban. No, we've got murder and suburbia as the first book. Then uh, Angels of Death, yep. which is about healthcare professionals who kill, yep. and Suburban Nightmare, which is the current book. True crime stories from Australia. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Thank you so much for downloading the Nitty Gritty Committee stories about the guts and the glory of life. Please go to my Facebook page with suggestions about uh, other people you'd like to hear from or if you've got suggestions for Emily about other stories she can report on, I can pass that on. Uh, We will definitely talk again. And thank you to everyone for going to iTunes and clicking on a few stars and helping us move up that list. I'm Michelle Laurie. I'll be back in about two weeks. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.